Christian Alliance for Orphans, who is all over the world today. Churches not only in the United States, but uh, every uh, country in the world are celebrating Orphan and Stand Sunday. And you noticed at the end there, they quoted or you read from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' words himself, You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in the video that you you just saw, you could see that that theme is creatively used in calling those who call themselves followers of Jesus to do something about children all over the world that need someone to be light for them because these kids have found themselves in a very dark place. And that dark place displaces them from their home and it's of no fault of their own. This happens because of a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's neglect. Uh, Sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's greed It's poverty, it's addiction, it's war, it's disease, or simply running to get away from evil people who want to take them and enslave them. And they need someone to illuminate, to be the light for them in a path to safety, to security, to authentic love and care. And we would all agree that when a child is born into the world, that child deserves to be in a home, in a place where they can have authentic love and care so that they can become the person that God has created them to be. But when kids have to grow up in a dark place, they have to try to feel their way through to find light and, and, and feel, their through, feel their way through darkness, and that can be very difficult. It can scar them, and it can have lasting impressions on them that leads far into adulthood. And we all know this is true in our world. Some know it here today more than others know it today. But today I want us not only just to be aware of the darkness and how we can be light, not just say, yeah, I know that, it's awful, and then we go out to lunch and then we go watch the Falcons and nothing really changes, but that we allow that to be a part of our heart and realize that God has called us as Christ followers. There's so many verses in the Bible where God remembers orphans and widows. Even in the Old Testament, there were verses and uh, even in the laws were built in that there's going to be orphans, there's going to be widows, there's going to be aliens among you, and you as a people, as my people, are supposed to take care of them. You are my hands and my feet. And so I want us to be encouraged today, to be equipped today, and to be challenged today to be the light for these children. Light so that they can be led out of the darkness they're in into His wonderful, His marvelous light. To know that they are valuable, that they're worthy, that they are loved by their Creator, and they were created for the purpose of bringing Him glory through their lives. Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So we have today 
several folks in our church family who have been a part of being adopted, of adopting others, of being foster parents, of being in foster care themselves. And all of those stories, y'all, are important and valuable and teaching us something. And we need to hear those. So we have two families today that have uh, graciously agreed on film to tell a little bit of their story. And we need to hear it. I need to hear it. I've already heard it. I was blessed by it. I was challenged by it. But you're going to get to hear it today. And uh, their stories are meaningful, they're inspiring, and they're unique. And so we want to share those. So first, we're going to share in just a little bit a video of Don and Gwen Crabtree are going to share their story. They're uh, members of our church, part of our church here. And then we're going to hear from one of our elders, Dr. Uh, Mark Andrews, who is uh, the director of Adoptive Family Resources and uh, uh, Adoptive Family Resources is a nonprofit ministry that we support here at Southwest and are on board um, with Mark and his family in that. And he's going to come share a little bit about what they do and what they provide and how you can be a part of that, helping with that and providing those resources. And then we're going to see a video from another one of our own family here, the Harmon family. Um, uh, Landon and Kim and Josh Harmon are going to tell their story, and then I'll come back and just share a little bit before we close out today. But listen carefully to these stories that God has shared through these people and their experience with fostering and adopting. I'm Don Crabtree, and this is my wife, Gwen Crabtree. 47 years ago, I was living in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida with my family, and we attended uh, St. Petersburg Christian Church. And uh, I remember just kind of growing up, my dad was pretty sick that's actually how we got to Florida is he he had to be around the VA hospital and uh, actually uh, my dad did end up dying when I was 16 years old so he, he kind of knew that, I, I'm sure he knew that he he was dying so he, he did what he thought was good for his children he went to the uh, the preachers there at the church because he knew that you know he was sick and that you know his health was failing him and he wanted us to be somewhere that we'd be taken care of. So he actually talked to the uh, preachers there and it worked out that uh, Christian City is where we would probably end up going. So we loaded up and went to Christian City. It's a long way. It's eight hours away. It, it was scary for us. It was, uh, I have, uh, there was five of us that went. I had three brothers and a sister. Anyway, we, we arrived in uh, Christian City there in Union City. Back then it was country. You know, when we got there, I'm like, this, this is beautiful. There's nine cottages, over 100 kids running around, swimming pool, softball fields. I'm like, this is going to be great. I remember as a kid, you know, we, we didn't really have a lot. There would be mornings where we'd have a bowl of cereal and we put water on it. Well, when I got to Christian City that, that very next morning, you know, there was boxes of cereal everywhere, plenty of food for breakfast always. But uh, we, we went to, a, they, they said, get you some milk out of the milk machine. There actually was a milk machine, like a water fountain. Right. So it was had like, a spout. had a spout on it. You get all the milk you wanted. I'm like, man, this is going to be really good. So I, I remember, you know, the first month or whatever, we actually ate really good. No meals missed. And I mean, it was, it was pretty awesome. I remember we would, uh, you know, we'd have devotions at night. We'd get up, go to school go to church we'd be you know all in one big van and these other kids that was there they just uh they they, they you know we all just loved on each other we we knew that we was all coming from different backgrounds when you get 
at a campus where there's over 100 kids, you know, they all have the same issues going on. They might might be exact same issue, but that you know they're there for a reason. Their parents either you know couldn't take care of them, or they, they was their parents were wanting them to have a you know a good life, a better life than what they was able to provide for them. I, I remember when I was the, the first cottage. I, there was actually I lived in a total of three different cottages there, mm-hmm. out of the nine. But my second cottage that I went to live in, I went and lived in a cottage that was called the Florida Cottage. They all had different names, but anyway, I lived in the Florida Cottage, and the, my house parents there was Mom and Pop King, which actually attended Southwest South Christian West. Church. So I went to Southwest Church for, for about a year. After that time frame, I, I moved into another cottage, and it was Ron and Glenna Ross. They became my parents. Just like my mom and dad, sure. so I called them mom and dad, and uh, so I lived with them, and uh, eventually, they they were going to leave Christian City, so I was able to leave with them, and they pretty much uh, they didn't really adopt me; they just took me in, mm-hmm. and and I lived with them, and and their two kids, and then later on they had two more kids. Even their kids, even to this day, they're not my stepbrothers; they're just my brothers. Wow. They, they love me just like a brother. I, I remember when you know they was much younger than me. But they would draw in school, and they would draw, you know, the family in little sticks. And they would, <laughs> a little stick. Little stick figures. You were the brother. They put Don on there, so they didn't know me no different than wow. just just like a brother. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how you and Gwen met. We met in youth group, and uh, our youth minister was Billy Rowe mm-hmm. at College Park. I know a lot of everybody will know him, and he actually baptized. You no, know, Gary baptized me. Billy. Yes. And uh, but we met in youth group, and Donald's a couple of years older than me, so you know, uh, as parents do, you know, who is this boy, and where is he from, and he's so one my, of those Christian he's city a boys. Christian city boy, <laughs> and so you know, as a mom, you know, she went to Ron and Glenna, you know, and of course, you know, Ron and Glenna just sang his praises and everything, and so you know, we met and grew up, and we're in youth group together, and then we got married in the church, and. And then from there, Billy took us out of youth group and said, I need y'all two to be leaders, be the youth sponsors. The, the other thing, you know, just growing up in the church as a young man, I, I became a deacon and served communion at Christian City. So, okay. And then I used to pick up the elderly and bring them back on Sunday morning. I actually was in charge of a bus route for picking up the senior citizens and getting them there. So Christian City has just always been a part of my life. And giving back. Yeah, talk a little bit about giving back as y'all became well, relief, relief house, house parents. parents. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ron and Glenna, they actually, like Donald said, they've left um, and then raised their boys up some. But then they were just called to go back to be house parents. And so when they went back, they approached us and they said, "Would you want to be relief house parents?" And we were like, "Well, what is that? What you know? What exactly is that?" And so we, Donald and I, we agreed. We said, "Well, sure." And so we would go back one one day a week and then one weekend a month. And that, we were the mom and dad. Mm. And so they got to go. They got to do whatever they wanted to do as a family, just their little family. Or sometimes the brothers loved him so much they wanted to stay with us and Ron and Glenna would just, you know, get to go and have a date night or whatever. Right. 
And um, then the weekend, for the weekend a month, we would stay Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then they'd come back on Sunday after church, and then they, you know, would be the mom and dad again. But Donald would, we had a cottage with girls, and he he would talk to them about, you know, just growing up there. Yeah, I've been here. I know what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the kids. There'd be times where they, you know, honestly, when they would go home with the real parents for a weekend, when they would come back. And normally when you came back, they was, were down. They were down, and so I, I'm the, I was there, you know, to try to just help them out any way I could. What would you say to kids today who were in a similar situation that you found yourself in? You know, honestly, like I say, it wasn't easy at first. And looking back on it now, I mean, I just know God's going to be there for you. And He's got a plan for you. And if you'll just rely on Him, count on Him, trust on Him, He's going to be there for you. Yeah. It won't, it won't always be easy. But looking back on it now, even, you know, leaving Florida and coming to Georgia, I probably really wouldn't change it. This is my life now, so... Good morning, everybody. I want to thank, uh, first of all, uh, Craig had mentioned this earlier, I want to thank Southwest Christian Church uh, for your financial and prayer support. Um, we, uh, Adoptive Family Resources uh, was uh, supported by the church uh, financially at the beginning of this year. And I never realized, um, you know, I'd never started my own organization before. <laughs> I had no clue and never realized, the, you know, the cost, the overhead cost and the cost of just... Uh, building an organization and uh, as I mentioned in the first service Southwest was integral and just basically providing what I call the seed money uh, to get adoptive family resources or AFR for short as we call it up and running Um, since we came back from California a few years back a lot of people who know us ask what have you all been doing since you got back well what I've been doing the past two years is creating adoptive family resources and we have our website and the Facebook page up there if you want to check that out sometimes. Uh, But Adoptive Family Resources was created uh, to do just that, to resource and support adoptive and foster families in different ways. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Mac, if you could go to the next slide. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I was honored to meet a gentleman named Jed Medifend. Jed is the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, who sponsors the program today, CAFO for short. Uh, Jed was a former... Uh, director of uh, the faith-based community initiatives, uh, special advisor to President George W. Bush in his administration. Uh, Jed had heard about what I was doing uh, through a mutual friend of ours in California, of all places, and uh, Jed invited me to come up to Washington, D.C. to meet with him to talk about my dream for AFR, and out of that uh, came a special project that he asked me to do for CAFO Uh, for their nearly 200-member organization, which I finished up this past January, February. That really opened a door for me, um, uh, additionally, for adoptive family resources. But these are a lot of these pages are from the website, and you can check that out. But I just wanted to give a little report as well as just a a follow-up on what we're doing. Um, Over the past couple years, I was able to speak at a seminar at the National Adoption Conference, which was um, national, yeah, sponsored by the National Council on Adoption, the National Adoption Conference, which was held here in Atlanta a couple years ago. I've been honored to provide a parent, an adoptive parent support group for the Chick-fil-A Support Center. Uh, We had to curtail a lot of our support groups because of COVID. You can't really do a support group online. It just doesn't work very well. 
but we had over 20 parents involved in that up until March at Chick-fil-A, and we hope to resume that again. On a local level, I've uh, been able to serve a great organization in Christian City. Uh, you heard from Michaela earlier with the Crossroads and Adoption, uh, Foster Care and Adoption Program, and also the residential program there uh, where uh, Don grew up, we heard earlier. Um, but just providing some resources and particularly training for them. So that's basically what I've been able to do uh, both locally um, and nationally. Okay, Mac. Um, this is what we offer. And again, this is all from the website, um, but we offer, and I say we, and I'll explain why I say we in a minute, because this is just not me. Um, we provide seminars and workshops um, for adoptive and foster families, uh, parent and adoptee support groups, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. A service called Parent Coaching, which I'm just about to launch formally, which I'll explain a little bit more in just a minute. And also staying abreast of latest research uh, in order to help adoptive and foster parents and what's going on in that field. Okay, Mac. Um, if, you're not a, if you're not a foster or an adoptive parent, and maybe even if you are, you may not have heard of uh, something called trust-based relational intervention. That's a long word. We, it's TBRI for short, but uh, this is based out of a... Uh, program at Texas Christian University, which I was recently able to go up to Rome, Georgia, at one of their satellite locations and complete a two-week training. I will say in my 30 years, and how many, have any of y'all ever heard of TBRI? Are there any adoptive or foster parents? It's, it's not that well known. Um, it's fairly new, but I would say in my 30 years of working with kids in the mental health profession, uh, working with adopted and foster families, this is the most effective, practical, time-tested, research-based model of working with kids who have been through trauma and troubled background. It's the most effective model that I have ever seen. And I've seen a lot of models. And so I decided um, with uh, the help and support of my board and, and a generous uh, grant from uh, the Show Hope Foundation up in Nashville uh, to do this training. And uh, it's really a huge feather in the cap of AFR uh, to be able to have this, what I call the good housekeeping seal of approval of TBRI um, in our, um, in our toolbox, if you will. Okay, Mac. Um, two really exciting but long-term initiatives that we're involved in right now. One is called the Children Foundation of India. And of course, those of you who know Lisa and I, um, India is dear to our heart. Um, both of our children are from India. They're here today to support me. Uh, but I'm working with a longtime uh, colleague who um, is an adoptive parent uh, from also Indian children. Uh, we are collaborating with um, some people on the ground in India. Um, the Children Foundation of India is a huge umbrella organization to meet uh, educational and healthcare needs of uh, just tens of thousands of children, both in orphanages and, and street children in India. Our piece with AFR is developing a uh, training program for adoptive parents in India. Uh, way back in the 90s, uh, when we adopted our first child, Michael, about 90% of children who were adopted from India were adopted outside to other countries. And today that trend, for a lot of different reasons, political mainly, that trend is reversed, um, where close to 90% of children who are adopted, who are Indian children, are adopted within that country. What they lack there, what parents lack there, however, is, is the pre-training and education of working with children who've been through a lot of trauma. Um, who, have, who have been raised up in an orphanage or have been on the streets. And so we're collaborating with them. We probably won't see the fruit of our, of our efforts on this for a couple of years yet. Um, the Indian government bureaucracy makes our government here look like a walk in the park. But so far, we've had open doors and great reception, and so we continue to put that together. 
Okay, Mac. Another thing um, is, and this is, I'm going to ask for your assistance here in a minute. Um, you know, it always helps. It's not what you know, it's who you know, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. But uh, I'm also uh, going to begin in January collaborating with a group called Restoration Rome. Uh, this is an outstanding faith-based organization in Floyd County. Uh, you may or may not have heard of it, but they do some tremendous work in the schools and with DFACs, um, with, with adoptive and foster parents, uh, just ministering in many different ways uh, to those who are most in need in Floyd County. And uh, we have a goal of collaborating, of bringing this TBRI model that I mentioned earlier uh, to the schools and uh, DFACs in Coweta County. Um, this TBRI model is being used successfully all over the world. Uh, they've seen just tremendous results in juvenile detention centers, in schools, in child protective services, even in training caregivers in overseas orphanages in places like Ethiopia and Rwanda and Romania. It is a time-tested, proven model, and we want to bring that uh, to um, Coweta County. Um, so here's my, my request. If you um, if, you know, there may be people in here who happen to work for DFACs, know people who work in the administrative level for DFACs. You may be an educator in Coweta County, uh, may know of someone especially who is a teacher or a counselor or a social worker or an assistant principal. The assistant principals are typically the gatekeepers to get into the school. Um, if you could help me by connecting me with people that you may know in these areas. Uh, I've worked with, in and out with DFACs people many, many years, and administrative level is DFACs. It's, it's a very, very difficult organization to present new ideas to, to their detriment. But we are, we are really focused in trying to bring this model collaboratively to here in Coweta County because it's needed like any other county, uh, particularly for kids. Uh, who have been through traumatic backgrounds in training teachers and training counselors and training social workers from DFACs, training foster parents, adoptive parents um, about how to help their kids and support, our, and support these parents also. Okay, Mac. Um, in January, you can save the date on this if you or somebody that you know who is interested. Um, I'm going to be leading a, uh, a seminar here called Tools for the Parenting Toolbox. Parenting Children with Trauma and Attachment Challenges. Uh, it's going to be, the cost is on there, and we'll have registration information out on that later this month. We're going to do a live version of that here on January 23rd, 9 to 12, and for those who would prefer a Zoom uh, version of that, we'll be doing it on the 30th. So save that date. We'll have more information coming up about that um, in the church uh, announcements and on the website. Parent coaching, very briefly, is a new service I'm launching. It's not therapy. Um, I did therapy for many, many years, but this is different. It's a three to four session format that can be done virtually or over the phone or even live if possible uh, to help parents who are just going through some tough times uh, with their kids, adoptive and foster parents in particular. Um, there is a fee for this, but uh, I am not, we are not turning anybody away. Uh, this is the ministry aspect of AFR. They're not turning anybody away for their inability to pay or to pay the full fee. Uh, the fees are, are, are based on, on, on uh, the family's budget for that. So if you'd like more information about that, uh, that is on the website also. Back to uh, the beginning, um, adoptivefamilyresources.org, facebook.com. Um, you can check that out if you'd like. Okay, Mac. And I've got to show my support system because without them, I wouldn't be doing this. Uh, Lisa, many of you know Lisa, and uh, I would uh, be tearing out what little hair I have left on my head if it wasn't for her doing all the technical work and the computer 
and putting together PowerPoints like this one, um, you know, just, just really helping out in a ton of different ways. And of course, you know, Michael and Sarah, um, who are really the, the seed inspiration uh, for, for what I'm doing with this. And I say we because it includes them. They're not on a payroll. <laughs> they don't, I can't pay them yet. Uh, but I also mentioned we in terms of my board. I have a great board of directors. Two of them are members here, Melanie Kingston, Craig's wife, uh, Julie Yoakum, a great board of directors that we established this year. And I finally want to say this. Um, you know, Craig touched on this earlier. Um, we've got about 450,000 kids in this country um, who are in foster care. Uh, about 125,000 of them are adoptable. In the state, as Michaela mentioned, there's about 12,000 kids in foster care, a fair amount who are adoptable. I really believe, and this is the church as a whole, I'm not talking about Southwest, but I really believe over the years the church as a whole has, has in large part forfeited its role to the government in the area of taking care of what James 127 says, the widow and the orphan. And you may say, well, I can't, you know, I can't be an adoptive parent. I'm too old. I have all my own, you know, biological children already. But there are things you can do. You can pray. Um, you can offer a respite. If you have an adoptive family that lives in your neighborhood, you can offer a few hours just for the parents to take a break. You can be trained to be a respite uh, person for, uh, for defects. But there's such a huge need uh, for support. And uh, we are called as the church to do that. James 127 says it's pure religion. James is saying this is as pure as the religion gets, is as pure as it can get, is taking care of widows and orphans around you. And so I just kind of leave that with you today. And if you have questions uh, afterwards, I've got some brochures on the little round table out there. If you want to uh, get one of those, and I have my cards with um, the website and the other information, and uh, just feel free to contact me. Thanks a lot. Why would you all consider adoption for your family? So um, we um, experienced infertility, and we did um, several rounds of IVF um, and other things, you know, the, the drugs. I remember giving you lots of shots. Too many. But uh, eventually that didn't work out, and we um, started to explore adoption, kind of settled on international adoption because we had some friends. We were living in Kentucky at the time had some friends who had an experience with a domestic adoption that wasn't as good um, because of the way the state law is in Kentucky. But we looked into an international. Um, we kind of looked at all the different countries and um, I was kind of led to the Republic of Georgia and Guatemala were probably our two um, top countries. So what were some, some God things along the way that confirmed the path you were on? I would. Um, we both decided we were done with infertility at the same time. That's right. And that's we, really uncommon. Yeah, <laughs> Usually one wants to keep going and the other one wants to stop. Or, but we both at the same time were like, we're done. Right, we're done. Okay. I think just guiding us and directing us to the different, um, through the countries. You know, it's like, well, you know, we didn't want to do this or we do want to do that. Or um, just kind of opening and closing doors. Just a gentle kind of guidance through the whole process. Okay. Once we settled on Guatemala as the country, um, we found a, um, a great home study agency there in the state of Kentucky that came and did the home study. And then we found another uh, agency that was um, the international portion. So you work with one group that does the international work in the country of Guatemala. And uh, they were both fantastic. 
But it went. It. I mean, it was. It went really smooth. It they went were, really smoothly, um, and it was. Some of it was quite a bit of fun, actually. Yeah, the agency was great, and we had road trips together. You know, so we could, you know, mm-hmm. talk on the way to, you know, the state capitol to go get papers done, and um, it was nice. He had a, a lot of support from work, um, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every time I came into church too, I really felt like I was called to be a mom. So that was kind of cool. So mm-hmm. I'd get all frustrated and didn't really want to. You know, it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. You know, we don't have to have kids. And you get to church and it's like, oh, I want to be a mom. So wow. always in church was where that that pull was. Okay. At the time, you could go to Guatemala. If you went to Guatemala and visited the child before the adoption was finalized in the country, um, then when Josh came home, he got to be an American citizen. The minute he stepped foot on yeah, the minute U.S. He foot on US soil. Yeah, okay. Um, um, if you don't visit, then you have to go through a, another little shorter paperwork trail to make uh, the adoption um, okay. finalized in the United States. But it worked out good. Um, my parents went with us on the first trip. and um, When we visited. When we mm-hmm. visited. We stayed in Antigua, which is a beautiful city that right. those of us who have been down there on the mission trips have been to. So that was... Um, yeah, we traveled around the country and just tried to get a feel for the country. Um, it was really nice having his parents there for support. And then they got to, Josh got to spend the night with us one night in the hotel. Okay. Um, his, got to meet his foster mom. And um, he was in private foster care, which was great. He had amazing care, which isn't always the case. So right. I'm so grateful and thankful for that. So what was that like coming home with this guy? <laughs> It's probably like any newborn. It's like, exactly. what do you mean they're just handing them to yeah, me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now what? What do I do now? Yeah. Um, we almost didn't make our plane back. Uh, I was football carrying him through the airport. Yeah, I don't think you liked that very much because <laughs> you were crying and you were not a happy camper. And then we got on the little airplane. Well, we had to go through customs. And yeah, we had to go through right. immigration with him. They get you know had a thick packet that we had to go through immigration with. And sure. And then we got home and. Uh, <laughs> I remember uh, getting home, <laughs> and it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, we had our our family was there to welcome us home, and um, our neighbors, and it was really cool. Wow, and I, it was a and long I, journey. Yeah, it was, and I think from that point, um, at least from my perspective, uh, it was just like. We were parents, right? So the whole the whole process to get there was done, and now we're parents. And I don't really think of it as being any different than parents who have their children through birth. Mm-hmm. It's this to, to me, it's the same. Right. Mm-hmm. I was adopted by my stepdad, so right. I you know I was I knew that I could love somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, "Can you love?" an adopted child as much as you would love a biological child. Well, absolutely. I mean, you love your spouse, you know, you're not biologically related to your spouse, so. Yeah. From my perspective, the rewards and challenges, again, are the same as any parent experiences. Yeah. Um, He's he's a good kid. (laughs) Um, Josh is Josh. No, (laughs) no, you are. You're a very good kid. He's awesome. um, uh, We've had the same ups and downs, I think, that any family has um, adoption doesn't really play into it I think one of the coolest things that we've experienced as a family from our perspective there have been um, more ties to the country of Guatemala mm-hmm. um, since uh, you know since we 
adopted Josh, my brother and his wife and family are missionaries in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mission trips with Casas por Cristo. Mm-hmm. So it's been really cool to be able to um, take Josh back to Guatemala to visit um, my family. See his birth country. Mm-hmm. See his birth country and then um, to go down there to serve serve and, and build the homes. Right. Well, Josh, anything you, you know, you'd like to share as far as, you know, um, maybe say to kid that's thinking, you know, waiting adoption or, or just anything you'd like to say about the experience to encourage others? Um, I guess the perfect family is going to be coming to hopefully adopt you and give you a second chance that you might have not have gone if you were in like Guatemala or China or whatever because you could be just living on the streets if her family couldn't take care of you anymore, and uh, that God has a plan for, for every little kid around the world to live and serve for his kingdom of, of heaven and all that, and that's basically all I have. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Sometimes uh, I'll have people, and I don't know if, they've, if people have said this to you or not, but had people say to me, you know, oh, what a great thing, what a selfless thing to do, you know, to adopt a child. Or you save the child. Or... That's not the case at all. Yeah. Um, we really wanted to have a family. Mm-hmm. And um, this was God's path for us to have a family. It's, it's yeah, not... Josh needed a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and we, you needed... know, we didn't take him from anything. Right. Um, he already was in a situation where he needed a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really cool that God was God... able to put the two together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God brought us all together. Well, I appreciate very much uh, the Crabtrees and the Harmons sharing their stories. And these are folks, y'all, that are part of our family here. So I know they would welcome you to ask questions and to share more if you'd like to talk to them. And I want to thank Will Darnell back there who uh, was part of the editing process. He was the editing process. These were probably 20-minute interviews apiece, and he had to get them down. And he did an amazing job. But again, I I hope you heard the hearts of those people, and uh, we need to hear those stories, don't we? We need to feel those people's hearts and know what God did in, in bringing those kids. I want to just kind of, before we go into a time of communion today, I want to just share a, a couple of things. Um, as Mark mentioned, uh, you know, the Bible is full of passages that talk about people who are God followers, who are Christ followers, that, that we don't just see these things like kids in darkness or orphans and just go, wow, that's terrible, and we don't do anything about it. No, we're called to be the hands and feet of God. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul, and throughout these letters that he, he wrote in the, in the early church to the Jesus followers in those churches in that first century, he said, look, this word adoption resonates with people. Listen to what he said to the Galatian church. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons, 
God sent the spirit of his uh, son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. He uses that phrase, adoption, to talk about the gospel transforming us, restoring us to God. In Ephesians, another letter of Paul to another group of Jesus followers. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's what God used this word over and over again, adoption. And one of the other letters that Paul wrote to the Romans, he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Again, there's that word that is clearly connecting with people that I'm adopted. I've been restored. I have a family. I have someone who loves me that gives me hope and security. I want to just close with this story before we go into communion. A lot of y'all may know the name Demarius Taylor who grew up in Georgia. I believe he grew up in the Dublin, Georgia area. Uh, Went on to play football at Georgia Tech and went on to play pro football in the NFL. I believe he's with the New York Jets now. I'm not sure about that. He may be here, but I think he's still on their roster. And poor Jets, they're even worse than our Falcons. Um, I don't think they've won a game yet. But DeMarius has had a great career uh, in the NFL. But I want to just tell you a little bit about his story. When he was 11 years old, his mother was arrested. And uh, he says, at the time, my father was in the military. My mother and stepfather and grandmother were all in prison. From that day on, I was basically an orphan. I came home from school that day and thought, where do I go now? Can you imagine at 11 years old, where do I go now, knowing that your family is locked up and you feel so lonely and isolated? Well, he eventually made it through high school and college and obviously was a standout wide receiver at Tech and went on to the NFL. But listen to how he describes what helped him along the way. He says, people think orphans are kids whose parents have died. But 80% of orphans in the world have at least one parent who is living somewhere. There are millions of kids just like me across the United States and hundreds of millions all over the world. We rely on the kindness and the couches of others to get us through the day. I had multiple high school coaches who looked out for me, multiple college coaches, deacons, pastors, aunties, uncles, friends, and even one of those people, if even one of those people had let me slip, would you even know my name? Maybe not. I talked to a lot of kids who have parents in prison or who left them or when they were young for one reason or another, and I know the anger, I know the pain, the fear, especially the loneliness, and I just wanted somebody, I just wanted somebody to say, I care about you, but that doesn't happen enough, so they get in to trouble. As men, as athletes especially, we don't like to talk about love. We talk about brotherhood and all that, but not love. But it's the most important thing in a child's life, more important than the kind of school you go to or what neighborhood you live in. Even if you grow up around drugs and violence, if you are loved, you will make it out. It's an amazing story that he experienced that. And you heard what he said. It wasn't necessarily his family. It was coaches, teachers, um, some of his family, aunts and uncles. It was uh, pastors and deacons and people who came into his life and showed him that love. So this morning, as we're going to pause right now and go into a time of communion, and I think this is appropriate as we think about we're getting ready to take communion, and hopefully you got that little packet when 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 you came in this morning. 
And uh, we remember what Jesus asked us to remember as he adopted us as sons and daughters. We were lost. We were in darkness, but he brought us light. He found us and brought us and restored us and adopted us as sons and daughters into his kingdom, as, as Josh talked about in the video. And I'm so grateful that I know that you're grateful for that too. But this morning, I want to challenge you as you think about you were adopted by God back into his family. Think about how we as a church, how you as an individual can truly help kids who were in darkness experience that light. We've been given a lot of things to think about this morning, haven't we? A lot of things to ponder. And we have resources and we have people and that we can consider and, and, and think about. And some of you go, oh, you know, like March, oh, I couldn't be a foster parent, I couldn't adopt, I, I can't do. No, there's things that you can do to help people that will do that. But, um, you know, 20 years ago when I met my wife, I didn't think I would ever be a foster parent. And for 20 years, my wife and I were able to foster, and we have adopted. We're somebody you can talk to. I don't say that to say, look how great we are, because, man, it's had its challenges. <laughs> But it's had so many more rewards, and we'd be glad to talk to you about it. Mark and Lisa can talk to you about it. The Harmons, the Crabtrees, there's many others here that can talk to you about what that is and how it's made a difference in their lives and how you can be the light to a young person.